Hello everybody, Dr. F. Scott Feel here, and I'd like to introduce you to our newest sponsor. The NPTE Final Frontier is the review course that I wish was around when I took the board exam. For those of you who know my story, it took me a handful of times to pass that exam, and quite frankly, I really wish I had an, a, an exam review course around, uh, just like the NPTE Final Frontier. Uh, check out their website, NPTEFF.com, and use the code HET at checkout for 10% off to all of our listeners and fans. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. F. Scott Feel, uh, and I've got with us today two very special guests that are actually returning. Dr. Gavin Earhart and Dr. Stephen Ambler, both of Washington University in St. Louis. And this is actually a follow-up episode, which is pretty neat because we don't get to do these too often. It's it's almost like a long-term research study. So uh, this is very cool. But the first episode they did was back in March of 2020. That's season four, uh, episode 31 and 32. It's a part A and part B. And we'll link those shows uh, in the show notes here so you guys can go catch up on those and see. But essentially, that that first episode was about their endeavor into competency-based learning. And now we get the the two-year uh, follow-up episode on, on how things have been going. So a lot has happened since March of 2020. Let's just start there. How are you both doing? Because so much has happened since March of 2020, let us know uh, how you guys are doing and, and, and how you feel the competency-based curriculum is going. On your two-year follow-up, you don't even have any attrition here. You know, we both came back to talk with you again. So the <laughs> you're, you're doing good there. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> uh, th- thanks, Scott. I, You know, I think it's hard to believe it's actually been that long, but uh, a lot's happened. You know, we've, we at that point, we were really um, still building. And of course, um, at the time, probably didn't realize the what we were going into with regard to COVID as well. So, uh, you know, having to quickly pivot and build a um, a hybrid for COVID for uh, uh, longer than I think at that time we thought it would be. Uh, and so uh, here we are now, we've, we're, we've launched, we launched in fall of 21, our new curriculum, our first cohort, uh, who's going through it there in year two, or what we call phase three. And then we're on version two of uh, phase one and phase two, you know, or or of the first year of, of the DPT curriculum. So we're already uh, starting to move into our continuous improvement cycle, uh, but we are still building. Uh, so the, you know, the second year and, and then um, finishing phase three, and then uh, phase four is also yet to be launched for the first time. And we are finishing up our final cohort from the legacy curriculum. So our PT class of 23 is uh, currently on their last clinical rotation. And then they'll come back here to campus in January before they graduate in May. So a lot of moving parts these days. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Once you can get that legacy group through, I mean, that that's a big sigh of relief, right? That's that's kind of a another thing you got going on in the background there that you don't really even think about sometimes. So I think that's that's pretty cool to have that kind of over the hill there and moving on. I, I guess I kind of want to ask you guys then the next question here is what 
What are some of the cool things and the positive findings that you've seen so far uh, in switching over to competency-based curriculum, whether it's expected or unexpected? Yeah, I just want to make a comment on the legacy curriculum before yeah. I move to this question and say that we have actually implemented a lot of the changes and the learning that we've had through this new curriculum into the legacy. So those learners are getting the benefit, yeah. I would say, at least partially of the the new initiatives that we're doing. And we've been very conscious to make sure that that happens. Um, and it will be, you know, exciting to be, you know, kind of fully in the new curriculum. But um, I just don't want listeners to think. <laughs> right, right. We haven't also had that trickle down and right. that intentional translation of what we've learned. In terms of what we've learned, your your next question, I think we've learned that this is a much bigger undertaking than we even imagined it would be. You know, so over the years, we've been through transitions, such as when the field went from a master's to a doctoral level. That was a big lift, you know, a lot of change. We've done curricular revisions on a smaller scale since that time to keep things current and fresh. And I think, you know, we told ourselves everything is good. We're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. We're just trying to make things, um, and I think that we have, but I think that the amount of work that that has entailed and the transformation that truly has taken place has been pretty remarkable. For me, that's both on the learner side and on the faculty side. So on the learner side, I think we're seeing right now, you know, what I'll call anecdotal evidence because nobody's graduated and gone out and practiced yet, but anecdotal evidence that learners are thinking more holistically and integrating things at a much earlier stage in their training than we've seen in the past. And I think that integration is also evident on the faculty side. We are no longer teaching courses that are siloed. We're integrating information within modules. And so we all have to work together and we have to know what everybody else is doing and make sure that it all comes together. And so that's created a a new level of collaboration among faculty, which has been really wonderful, I think. That sounds amazing. I mean, uh, we've just kind of started talking because when I, I'm relatively new to academia, right, this is my third year now, and I didn't know who taught what and where it was taught in the curriculum. So I had to go back and kind of learn that. Luckily, we've started curriculum meetings that help with that. So um, that's an added bonus right there that, you know, came kind of almost naturally, it seems. So that's pretty cool. I, I think I would not only agree with Gammon, I mean, the, the integration piece has been you know, if your question was, what's the coolest? I mean, that's just really neat. Um, I, and in ways that we did plan and could imagine, and then also in ways that we probably didn't realize, because just putting people together on a team produces other integrations that you really may not have even known uh, could happen. And some of our folks that have you know taught the clinical courses at the same time that some of the foundational science courses were going on and what they've done together has been really, really neat. The other thing for me that's the coolest, and this is something that, and actually to Gammon's point in our legacy curriculum, which one of the first things we began piloting and working on was shifting to more formative assessment. I think that's one of the neatest things we're doing. It's been hard to implement uh, and and to really get sort of a shared understanding as a group on what it means and and what we're doing, and to get our learners to trust it and commit to it. But this notion that you know we, you can come in and do what we would have called a practical in the past, 
get immediate feedback, redirection of your learning, um, and then go away and improve that and come back and do it again is just, I just love it. And there's a lot of logistics and things we had to figure out, things, you know, you just don't learn until you start doing it. But that for me has been the other really cool thing. Competency-based learning was a, a real buzzword this year at ELC. There must have been, I don't know, five you know, presentations or so on competency-based learning, um, competency-based curriculum. So it obviously is gaining some traction. It's something that a lot of programs are now looking at. Um, I, I've got to play the devil's advocate now and flip, flip the side of the coin a little here and ask, what are some of the not so cool things or tough things that you guys have kind of seen coming out of competency-based curriculum? Because there was a lot of talk about that uh, after the presentation. So uh, I'm curious what you guys are finding or running into. So there are challenges. That it, it's hard to separate what is hard because you're implementing something new mm -hmm. and what is hard because it's competency-based. So that that's probably really important for folks to think about and and distinguish if they're, you know, making decisions or deciding what to do moving forward, because uh, so many of our challenges over the last couple of years and even currently is just, as Gammon mentioned, it's so much work to do a shift like this. And it's, it's all the kinds of work. So it's just a lot of technical work and, you know, rebuilding uh, learning materials and rebuilding assessments and all of that. But it's also what I would say is almost more fatiguing work where it's faculty development around challenging your assumptions of what learning is and what assessment is. That's hard work because you have to challenge each other. You have to have lots of time for conversation and to try to understand each other. Um, so I think that might be true with any new, I mean, I'm sure there are folks out there developing a new program that might say, hey, <laughs> this is really hard. Uh, because it's so much work, but maybe related to CBE, I would say, starting with the fact that you probably do need a, a challenge of, and Bob Englander, who was at Minnesota and I, has moved on from there, but has done a lot of work in this in medical education, has written about this maybe the most, that just this is a different type of change because it really involves challenging our, as faculty, deeply held beliefs on what school should be really in a way. That's a unique challenge, I think, to moving to this framework. And then there are the traditional critiques of uh, competency-based models, such as you could actually be over assess you could just assess your learners into the ground if you're not careful. Um, and so those kinds of challenges as well. But those are really mistakes in implementation if you're doing that. And then finally, because Gammon, Gammon may have different thoughts about this, but I think you can also make sure that you, as a prof at the profession level, consider, well, what is this framework going to be? And, or maybe even what is it not going to be? So at least competency-based uh, education in physical therapy right now is not really direct assessment or test out where we're saying, okay, we're getting rid of credit hours, we're getting rid of seat time, um, and you just show up, pass the test, you know, that's not really been on the table yet. And so some of those things are important to, to, to sort of lay out right from the beginning to determine what your challenges might be. Yeah, I mean, what's your take on that? Any other barriers that you faced or any other uh, bumps in the road, so to speak? I think I would echo what Steve said about workload. To me, yeah. 
from my vantage point, that's been the biggest challenge for faculty in particular. I think for learners, the challenge is to sort of shift your whole mindset about what your goal is. So your goal is to become competent, not to get A's. And so not having grades and not having siloed courses, but really having to think about how everything fits together right from the get-go, I think it's also been a change for learners. I think that they they catch on pretty quickly and come to appreciate what that different approach has to offer. And I think they feel like they're retaining the information better because the curriculum does spiral and things come back and get layered on top of what they already know in a very intentional way. I think some of the things that we've done to overcome that are, you know, more training of ourselves and of the learners, you know, early on about like, how do people learn best? And so why are we doing it this way? And how is that going to benefit you in the end in terms of retention and How can you take responsibility for your own learning journey, not just while you're in the DPT program, but beyond? And then how do we support you in that so that as you move through the curriculum, by the time you're done, you are a master adaptive learner ready to do it on your own. And so the coaching program that we've introduced, which is brand new and not something we had in the legacy curriculum, I think has really helped with that. Yeah, I I love that. Because I was a straight B student, so a couple C's sprinkled in there. You know, the grades weren't as important to me, and they still aren't. I, I tell my students to this day, I need you to learn the information. Are you are you mastering the information? Did you learn something when you walked away from my class today? That's what's important. The grades, you know, it's not as important to me. I, I really need to know that you know what we talked about, and you can then apply it to real life, because that's what's going to matter when you leave here. You know, I, I, I forgot to mention something too, I yeah. just challenge that, that really needs to be something considered is that we've been fortunate and, and well supported, but it, it should still be viewed as a challenge. It's just that within your institution, um, making sure that you can have partnerships and support, you know, up above your academic unit. And having a registrar you can work with, having a financial aid office that you can work with, and all of those pieces, they could be challenges. And and, uh, like I said, we've been very fortunate, but that's another really important factor specific to CBE that I think uh, folks need to consider. So you got to get everybody in the sandbox uh, cooperating and having a good time with this, not just uh, one department. Yeah, depending on the types of change, you know, how how far you're going to go and the yeah. types of changes you might make. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember, again, when I went to PT school, right, it was a master's program. And so it was very much sage on a stage, you know, the professor lecturing to you, you took notes, you went home, you studied them, and then you took a test, right? Uh, a couple of practicals sprinkled in there, et cetera, et cetera. Then when moving to the TDPT, uh, when I did that, it was much more of a flipped classroom where you were expected to take more of that responsibility, learn it, and then come ready to talk about it and have discussion. And it, I like the transition. I like the the you know way we're heading. Uh, we still, I feel, weren't there. And this could, you know, cr- the competency based education could be the direction that really gets us into that, you know, comprehensive flow of all the information we're trying to to teach and and build it up with that scaffolding method and then eventually take it all down and let them kind of try it out and 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 meet those competencies. So I'm I'm you know I'm I'm hopeful. I'm I'm excited. I think it's a it's a great possibility for the future. One of the things that was talked about a lot at the presentations uh at the educational leadership conference there was uh the domains. 
And, you know, uh, there was a presentation, obviously, uh, put on by uh, ACAPT APTA kind of collaboration, right, where they talked about, uh, I think it was the seven domains, right? Uh, it was patient, client uh, care and service, uh, practice management, education and learning, reflective practice and improvement, which that one's one of my favorites, because that kind of goes back to Gail Jensen's work on reflection is what makes the difference between a, an expert and a novice, right? And so I've been trying, the only way that I learned that was out in, in real world practice when, you know, experienced PTs would tell me, now you got to go back and look at your day and how did it go? What patients went well, which ones didn't. So if we can incorporate that at a much earlier phase, I think it eventually cuts down the 10,000 hours rule of, you know, becoming an expert and, and we can get there sooner, uh, which that's why that one's one of my favorites, but I digress. Uh, communication, systems-based uh, practice in healthcare, and then professionalism. Uh, those were the recommendations, uh, you know, and I think WASH use uh, definitely has some of the same topics. I know you guys did a couple of different domains there, but it seemed like the topics were still there. Uh, did you guys have any idea as far as any problems or barriers uh, as far as the domains that you had and and what what you know ACAPT and APTA are kind of recommending or you feel like it aligned pretty well? Well, I should probably say that I'm um, I do I do work on their um, EPA panel just so folks know that. I think the uh, domains that one of the things that's going to have to happen here is this is also what we've been told from the beginning is. We've we've got to at the profession level try to to start to develop this framework, but that individual programs you know should try things should be innovative. Um, one of the reasons that we chose the domains we chose, we were very interested in trying to have a shared language across health professions. We kept the domain represented, um, or excuse me, uh, recommended for uh, across health professions. And then with the descriptions of the domains through our Delphi process, and then the competencies themselves, uh, again, through a Delphi uh, process, change those to represent the PT profession. So that's how we landed. Um, and I, I, other places might might be wondering this, so I'll just say it. I, I think um, one of the things we actually struggled with a lot, or at least I did in the beginning of our work was we knew that ELP and folks at the national level were working on this, and we didn't want to get out of alignment and actually slow the work of the profession down. So we started asking very early, you know, should we wait? And the message has always been, no, experiment, do, you know, do this because we're going to need those that have had experience doing it. And so what we committed to was that, okay, we're going to move ahead. We're going to try to contribute to how this develops at the profession level. And then we just will commit to aligning with wherever the profession lands, whenever it lands there. So I think there are some differences, but they're not many and they're not insurmountable. If you just took like wash use domains and the ones presented at, at ELC this last month, but there are really, we should really think hard about do these work across professions because I think one of the big opportunities we have as a profession, if we align some of the shared language, is that task shifting or is sort of that scope of practice expansion that we already know we're trained for. You know, so we don't like it or not, we don't sit at the top of a lot of the decision making when it comes to jurisdictional scope, but we know we're trained 
sometimes to do more than what we're allowed to do. And the more our language is shared, the more the easier it is, or or I should say, the harder it is to make silly arguments like a PT shouldn't have direct access when you when you can demonstrate you're competent in the same domain for performing an exam, making a diagnosis, just as an example. So yeah, there's a few differences. Uh, we're not concerned about it other than someday if we have to change all of our language, <laughs> that'll be that'll be work, but we're we're prepared for it. We committed to that from the start. There's a lot to unpack there, Stephen. I think, you know, if if reimbursement is such an issue and we're thinking that the only way that we can get reimbursed at the level that we're worth is to become these primary care practitioners, in order to be looked at as primary care practitioners, we have to be able to share in some of those domains, right? And share some of that same knowledge and and language. And this is a good way to do it, right? It's a good way to introduce our profession to some of those domains that we share, um, which can also open the door wide open for IPE, right? And interprofessional education. Because now we're we're already learning in the same domains. Hey, why don't we come together and do a joint effort here on this same domain that this profession is doing, right? Or this profession is using. So I, I think that's that's super important. But I mean, do you guys think that there needs to be a standardized set of domains or you think it's it's okay that we have some of that autonomy out there? I think at some point our profession will need to land on a, a on a shared shell, you know, domains, descriptions. If we don't eventually get to that it's too hard to measure, you know, to to do the other things that that hopefully a competency-based approach would allow, which the full continuum of education, professional and post, and then collecting data across those, you know, for individual learners so that you can study it and continue to improve it. I mean, one of the things that's so hard right now is even within the profession, we're doing lots of different things with lots of different words attached to them. And so if you try to study it, it's it's very difficult. So I I do think eventually, but I think it's natural to have some differences early on when you're innovating and trying things. And we've seen that in other areas. You know, there there are places trying things with length of, of program and other kinds of things that some might argue, well, we need a standard set. And maybe we do, but sometimes you need a little disruption and a little shakeup to figure out, well, why is it this? Well, it's been this way forever, but maybe we don't know why. <laughs> so yeah, I think eventually we should. And and we should commit at the profession level eventually to that and, and try to get, get everybody on board around it. But it's going to take time. Yeah, right now we just need some data points, right? We need we need those innovators to give it a shot and let us know how it goes. You know, uh, it all looks good in theory. Uh, but you got to get the boots on the ground a little bit, you know? Yeah. I've got one final domain question, then we'll move on to to other stuff here. But, uh, you know, do you anticipate, uh, do, you, do you guys think there'll be any changes or any uh, alignment shifts or anything uh, with the new CAPTI standards coming out over the next year as far as domain stuff? Do you expect any big shakeups or anything we need to worry about or... I. Uh, I don't know, but I my guess would be not the changes that are coming over the the next year. And sitting on my list is to review what, yeah, <laughs> what they've distributed likewise. to us. But 
um, then the question becomes, well, eventually, so some some professions have aligned accreditation standards with these frameworks and others have not. And so the question will eventually come for us is do will we want will the profession and will CAPTI want to align? I don't know the answer to that. And I just keeping a, an open communication between the groups right now. And I've I've felt like there's been that. I'm not a part of all the the groups, but just as someone who goes to all the updates and I feel that and I also, um, CAPTI the last couple of years too has gone come to ELC and other places and presented on, hey, we're not here to be in the way of innovation, and they've really given examples of and tried to I think make people feel more comfortable with. You can try things, you can call us, you can ask if you're not sure. I've I've been super encouraged by their approach, and so I think it's just just a matter of time. And then um, the folks across these groups getting together and I guess sort of strategically determining, well, what's best? Is it best to align those at some point or is it best to have some separation? To And some of that might be, well, how long do you want flexibility there to innovate? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, CAPTI has not seemed to be like the big bad wolf, you know, it, it definitely seems like they're, they're, really trying to help they're they're there you know they have to do their job and keep everything accredited but like you said they seem very open to to change and to you know what's going to be best for the profession moving forward well that's you know? a, a i'm sorry yeah. sorry I, I, that's a really important thing that folks should linger on too for what they're thinking about within their programs because i i think too often the initial response is, well, Capti will never let us do that. So we're not going to talk about that. I, I think a lot of times that's probably not true. And there's a fear. And I I mean, I always felt that way too. When I first got into academia, I was afraid of Capti, right? I didn't never want to do anything wrong. I just, my experience has been the opposite, that if you call them, they're trying really hard to help you. Um, and that also you the standards are already uh, in a way that allow for innovation. It's a tough process, right? It's not easy. Anytime CAPTI comes to do your accreditation stuff, it's a, it's a lengthy process. It takes a lot of work, a lot of people involved. But, you know, again, I think it's it's for the good of the profession. They're, they're definitely trying to move things in the right direction and keep us all accountable. You know, I think that's a necessity. But we have a lot of uh, hope moving forward. I think we have a lot of option. We have a lot of uh, optimism, you know? So uh, it seems like Capti's on board for, for these changes. They recognize this, the landscape is changing. And so they, they want to get behind us and support, you know, the, the schools as much as, as much as they can with, with the program changes that they're trying to implement. So. Well, you know, and Scott, one, one other thing that I just have to say is I, CAPTI is not some other, CAPTI is us. I mean, CAPTI is made up of all of us um, at different points in our career. And um, I think the other important thing that people should think about is if, if, if you don't like something, sign up. They're always looking for folks to, uh, to help out. And so uh, I, I just have to add that because yeah, I I just think, they're Capti's not a barrier. In fact, they're probably a facilitator, at least in these conversations around uh, competency frameworks. For sure. 